The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. What a very warm welcome to Scorebox this Monday morning. You've got Jeff Cutmore and you've got me back, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. So JP Morgan posted record first quarter revenues while City and Wells also beat expectations. This as the big banks kicked off the earnings season under increased scrutiny following last month's industry turmoil. Well, the French President Emmanuel Macron signs his controversial pension reform into law following the top court's decision to back the bill and reject calls for a referendum, spurring more protesters onto the streets. ECB policymakers admit the banking crisis has forced a rethink in the rate hiking path, but Governors Ollie Wren and Mario Santino tell CNBC it would be premature to stop interest rate hikes just yet. We have been reaching restrictive territory, and it's important that we don't relax prematurely. We need to read the data very carefully to understand uh, that the monetary transmission mechanisms uh, are at work. Uh, they are bringing inflation down. A double dose for Merck as the US healthcare giant reports promising test findings for its mRNA cancer vaccine, while also closing its $11 billion takeover of biotech group Prometheus. Nice to see you all. Uh, no, I genuinely mean it. It's really lovely to be back getting up at three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> no, I was like, how, how was your holiday? It was good. Yeah, got right. a lot done. It was actually good. one of those ones where I won and the family lost. I right. all my tick list was was good. was very efficient. Family did not get to go to the Maldives. Right. Um, but 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 you know it's a, this annoying yeah. thing that you see that people have to tell everyone they're back on Twitter or Facebook. Mm. What I miss. What I miss is the mm. phrase. And actually. It doesn't seem like I've missed that much, apart from the market has found this beautiful cushioned feather bed called complacency about just about bloody everything. I think that's pretty much right. Uh, you've, you've summed it up. I mean, um, so the IMF has been really interesting because uh, not only has Germana worked her socks off I, interviewing so everybody, even the janitor, I think, uh, got a soundbite on CNBC. But, but the fascinating thing about um, the, if, if you just boil down the consensus that was coming out of the World Bank IMF, uh, you could call it complacency or you could call it perhaps um, an unwillingness to recognize some of the challenges that are still out there and have not been addressed. Yeah. So there's been a widespread optimism, I would say, from the crowd, which is, you know, the banking sector is resilient, economies are resilient, we're not gonna have a bad recession, uh, we've got a little bit of um, tightening in credit conditions, but that'll be fine, we can see our way through this. Not because we, the big banks, we need right. to trust our central banks yeah. to manage us through this. So yeah, well, you've been away for a couple of weeks, but I have to say it, it, it does feel like many of the stories are still running. Well, and, and the seeds were there, weren't they? And I will just go through this now as well, because the seeds for the last week or so were there 
a couple of weeks ago, i.e. we've now had four weeks in a row uh, well, where the Dow has rallied. We've had four out of five weeks where the Nasdaq and the S&P have rallied. Uh, and quite frankly, all those risks, everyone's still warning about them, whether it's the IMF, whether it's stability boards, whether it's uh, uh, the Bank of International Settlements, whether it's the banks themselves, and we'll come to those in a few moments' time. But they're all saying they're outliers rather than this is our, our preeminent concern at the moment. The banking sector, yes, it's got problems. Credit tightening, yes, potentially. Money supply, yes, there are issues there. But it's not affecting the big guys. And again, that was the point, is the big guys actually did really, really well. And if they're doing okay, then people seem to be more relaxed about the broader environment. So you're not worried about valuations. And Jeff and I were just checking up on your S&P uh, before this show started. You're still trading at elevated levels. Now, albeit not as the, the most elevated we've seen over the last five years, but with an S&P with a forward PE multiple of over 18, a backward-looking multiple of over 22, it is I think unarguable historically on that measure, there are other measures available for you all, that this market is not cheap. Is it expensive? That's not for me to say. But the fact is, despite the small declines we saw on Friday's markets in the United States, once again for the week, the uh, tally was respectable if you are along the market. 1.2% higher for the Dow, 0.8% uh, higher for the S&P. NASDAQ taking a little bit of a relative breather, although it's had a brilliant rally this year. Unarguable again. Uh, it was only up 0.3 of 1%. For the week, though, in terms of sectors, financials led the way with that performance at the tail end of the week. Seven out of 11 sectors were up for the week. Let's have a look at the US banks. Again, what did we have? We had Wells Fargo, we had Citi, led by JP Morgan as well. Uh, and it was lovely to see the producers, and they, and they haven't forgotten that I like a nice stat, and, they, and David's giving me a lovely juicy one, that that move on JP Morgan, on the back of their numbers... 7.5% higher is the highest move in over 20 years on the back of their earnings that JP has seen. So 7.5% rally there. City was up 4.8%. Wells did less, so to be fair, it was pretty flat. But elsewhere, as you can see, uh, a very solid performance from the banking sector, which even a couple of weeks ago, was at the epicentre of concerns, wasn't it? Uh, about global stability as well. What's going on with the banks as well? Well, the answer is the big banks, not a lot. Now, are they benefiting from the turmoil elsewhere in the sector? I think we can all say yes, can't we? But we've got a guest coming up on that one in a few moments' time, so he'll give us his take on that one. And Treasuries, again, let's have a look at these as well. We've got a 10-year yield of 3.5%, a two-year yield of 4.11%, uh, and at the long end, 3.7%. So look, here you go. You've still got your inversion, you recession watchers out there, but it's nowhere near as big a recession uh, inversion indicator as it was a few weeks ago as well so very interesting i want to speak to the people who have been saying to him and me and to karen over the last three to four months if there is a recession indicator coming from the bond market then we cannot be at these levels on the equity market we cannot be at these high levels we must be lower we must be 10 percent 20 percent lower we must be at 3000 uh, on the s p well i'm sorry we're 4100 and a bit of change at the moment so what has happened to your call is it the fact that you were wrong or is it the fact that if we have a lesser recession, actually um, you were less wrong? Or what? Well, I just want to know, because I always find you bears out there compelling. I love listening to you. I always have done. Whether you're Albert Edwards or Satajit Dash over the years or, or Bob Jandua from the Muir. There's been plenty of brilliant bears and you've got the current crop now. But at the moment you're wrong. And I want to know why you're wrong or if the facts change, hence you've changed your view. 
Let's have a look at the dollar. What's the dollar doing as well? Right, 1.24, 124 on cable, 110 on euro dollar. Barely moved since I've been away in the last couple of weeks, actually. Dollar yen, 134. Again, a lot of these pairs of the dollar yuan, 687. Not really moving dramatically from where I last saw them a couple of weeks ago. Should we have a look at the Asian indices? Nikkei, uh, flat. Hang Seng up seven temps, Shanghai Composite, a lot of data out of China, by the way, and I guess you're looking at China a lot, you lot, about what's going on there. New home prices up 0.5 or 1% in March, fastest pace in 21 months. So that is a bit of a reopening bang for your buck there. Uh, better than expected export growth in March as well. Uh, GDP late data this week as well is absolutely pivotal for the Chinese markets as well. Right, opening calls look like this. Again, steady as she goes. Nothing to see here. Seen slightly higher at the start of trading, Jeff. So let's dive into those bank earnings that uh, Steve was talking about. We've got JP Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo. They all comfortably beat expectations for the first quarter, reaping the benefits of higher interest rates. JP Morgan reported a 52% rise in profit to $12.6 billion, while net interest income also rose by 49%. The lender also saw a $37 billion increase in deposits compared to the prior quarter as money moved into bigger banks following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in mid-March. The CEO, Jamie Dimon, said the U.S. economy continues to be on, quote, generally healthy footing, despite the recent industry turmoil, but added that, quote, storm clouds remain on the horizon. Citigroup reported a profit of $4.6 billion in the first quarter, up 7% from the year earlier and well ahead of forecasts, while revenue jumped by 12%. Speaking about the recent regional bank turmoil, Citigroup's chief executive, Jane Fraser said she didn't see those issues as, quote, pervasive throughout the broader banking industry, while she did forecast the U.S. would enter a shallow recession by the end of this year. Wells Fargo, as we've been talking, reported uh, higher than expected first quarter earnings, but warned of potential losses. Here we go. In commercial real estate lending, setting aside $1.21 billion last quarter to cover the potential loan losses, compared with $787 million a year earlier. Deposits actually fell, which is a rarity amongst the biggest banks, isn't it? We thought it was just the regionals that were falling. But anyway, deposits fell by 2% versus the fourth quarter. Wells Fargo CFO. Uh, Mike Santo Massimo uh, spoke to our U.S. colleagues about the fund flight from regional lenders. Anytime you get a, uh, a big increase in, in deposits in a short amount of time, you have to be really cautious in how you sort of think about those. And it's, and it's likely some of that will revert um, you know, across the board. But, but I think it'll just take some time to play out. Uh, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink waved off concerns of a big U.S. recession this year, but maintained that inflation will be much stickier in the near term. Speaking with Squawk on the Street, the chief executive of the world's largest asset manager, also discussed money flows amid the banking crisis. We're seeing an um, a, a acceleration of movement out of the banking system into the capital markets. Um, and, and that continues on. You could ask the question, is that good or bad? We could all raise those questions. Um, the large banks are benefiting from this. The large market-making banks are benefiting it, and the capital markets are benefiting from this. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned that banks are set to become, quote, more cautious in this environment, telling CNN 
that lending standards may continue to tighten. The former Fed chair said she has a moderate growth outlook, adding that she doesn't see anything, quote, dramatic enough or significant enough for her to downgrade her position. Well, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America and Morgan Stanley head up the big banks reporting first quarter results this week. But a host of smaller and regional lenders will also be closely watched. Octavio Morenzi joins us, the CEO of Opimas. Octavio, good morning to you and thanks for being with us this morning. Before we get into um, what we're likely to see this week from some of the smaller regional banks, let me just ask you to reflect on what we've already learned from Friday's report card. Well, I think, as you pointed out, things look really good. If you, the, the three big banks we saw reporting had very, very solid results. There were a couple areas of weakness, but nothing unexpected. So those areas are basically investment banking. The IPO market has dried up. Uh, people aren't issuing as much debt. So investment banking is still more rebound. It, it actually managed to go down another 15% overall for the market as a whole, compared to a very, very weak first quarter in 2022. But that's, that's an aside. I think the trading activity is fairly positive. So overall, very, very good. One area of concern, as you point out, was real estate. So banks like Wells Fargo, who have a much larger exposure to real estate than maybe some of the others, suffered a bit as a result of that. But overall, very, very solid results. We also saw very good strength in terms of payments processing, in terms of credit cards and things like that. Although Jane Frazier at Citibank did point out that they've seen a big slowdown in terms of credit card spending in, in this quarter, but that was not seen at the other banks. So I think overall, very, very encouraging, very good results. Let's just briefly mention investment banking because we've, we've, we have seen corporate um, activity drop and that represents obviously a, a loss of fee generating income for those banks that are big in that space. But from the sound of it, most of the other segments of their business seem to be enough or doing well enough at the moment to offset some of that weakness. Definitely. I mean, the investment banking is not an enormous part of a, a very large universal bank like JP Morgan's activity, uh, nor is it the, fa the case at, at Wells Fargo, where it's relatively small. The other large investment banks, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, have a much, much larger exposure to that line of business. So we'll see what comes out with their earnings. But I think we'll see strength for those investment banks in the trading side. So we've seen fairly volatile chopping markets. We've seen good trading volumes, both in fixed income and in equities trading. So that should see them through. Uh, I will say in these kinds of more volatile markets, some banks are more successful than others in terms of navigating them. So banks like Goldman Sachs historically have been very, very good in that kind of market environment. So that should benefit them. But we'll have to wait to see what happens with their results. But overall, it looks pretty good for those banks as well, though. I don't think expect we'll see the same kind of boost that we saw at JP Morgan. Uh, that was basically more broad based in the commercial banking side of things as opposed to investment banking side. But um, nevertheless, it looks pretty encouraging. Everything looks really good. Oh, not everything looks really good, Octavia, but I'm sure, I'm sure in the investment banks, I hear what you're saying, though. Uh, I think that they have proven that in the current environment, with the current risk, they are well regulated, well capitalised and well run. I, I would completely agree with that, but I don't think everything is good. And I'm worried about other areas of the market. So are the areas such as uh, the private markets, such as the shadow banking markets, such as the regional markets, are they as well run, well regulated and well capitalised? Well, I mean, let's look at the, the regional banking market. Obviously, 
as you get into smaller banks, they tend to have greater exposures into individual lines of business and individual types of depositors. So they're more at risk there when start things start to go wrong. And that's certainly what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. We've seen with First Republic and, and, and Pacific West and, and banks of that sort. So there has been a bit of a flight out of there because they've tended to be more exposed to depositors who are sort of hot depositors who take money out very, very easily and quickly and try and get better returns from it. And we have seen, of course, interest rates on even very short-term U.S. Treasuries hit 5% and even more now. So now on the three and four-month U.S. Treasury, you're getting well into 5% return on that. That's a much more attractive proposition than letting your money sit in a checking account at First Republic, uh, which is risky and doesn't have any returns with it. So yes, those kinds of banks have, uh, I wouldn't say they're not as well run. I think they're pretty well run, but they just have a different risk exposure. They're not as broad-based and therefore they're more vulnerable when things start to sort of recede. Um, there isn't also a, a sneaky feeling out there, and I'm sure you you understand what we're saying. There's real estate markets out there where the exposure, well, although people are talking about it, I think perhaps investors are underestimating where the concerns are and what the ripple effects could be from that as well. Just give us your view on the real estate sector and potential risks, Octavio. Well, I think we're going to see very substantial risk uh, and and decreasing prices in the U.S. real estate market. So. What we've seen really happen now is that I think a lot of market participants basically expected the Fed now, as a result of this turmoil, let's call it turmoil in the banking sector or in the regional banking sector, to actually put a hold on the interest rate increases. That we'd see an increase of 25 basis points at this next meeting in early May. And then after, who knows, maybe we'd even start to see declines as they start to cut back. I think that has now evaporated as a possibility. As a result of these very, very strong bank earnings, the Fed is not going to be in the mood now to cut interest rates to, to basically bail out the regional banks. They're basically going to say the banking sector in the US looks strong, the big banks are doing really well, we don't have to intervene to save the entire banking sector, we'll just deal with fighting individual fires as those occur in the regional banks and basically roll those up into the bigger banks. And I think that's going to be their strategy and that has been traditionally what they've done. So they're basically saying, I th- we think the banking sector looks fine, we can continue to increase interest rates and that's going to weigh heavily I think on the real estate market and the mortgage market in the US. And and that's what I think is going to happen over the course of the next six to 12 months, is we're going to see increasing pressure on real estate prices in the US as mortgage rates continue to increase. What about global issues, Octavio? Um, we've, we've talked a lot about the US banks looking at the US market and the US economy uh, and the capital markets. But what about external factors? Because it's, it's still very obviously the case that banks elsewhere in the world, notably here in Europe as well, are trading at a massive discount to their US peers as well. There's a reason why they're trading at the massive discount, many reasons that we could give and we've talked about previously as well. But any of those risks attached to those international banks going to affect the US story? Well, certainly these large uh, banks are, the the large US banks are global institutions and they're active around the world, uh, particularly in the trading investment banking side of things. So they really basically sort of straddle the world. Uh, Some like Citigroup has very large exposures around the world as well in its retail banking activity as well, which most of the others don't have. But so these large US banks certainly are exposed to international currents as well. In Europe, as you pointed out earlier in the show, I think we're going to carry on seeing interest rates hiked as well. So that's going to go in the same direction and that will put pressure on the European real estate market as well, that they don't have that much exposure there. So their exposure in the European market, I think, would be more limited to more sort of on the trading side, investment banking side, and maybe some very large commercial loans and things of that sort, but not sort of the run of the mill retail and mortgage business and real estate business there. So I think that's sort of 
what we're going to see in terms of the exposure. So I, I wouldn't say that the, the two markets are, are discoupled entirely, but uh, it's certainly true that the US banks tend to be more American than large European banks, which tend to be more international in scope. So it's absolutely true that a big US bank has a very, very substantial US exposure. So yes, some influence from Europe and maybe geopolitical events, who knows what's going to happen next in Ukraine or in Taiwan or North Korea, those things could weigh on it too. But I, I think overall, looking pretty solid overall. I, I can't look at these earnings now and say that there's anything wrong with them. It looks very, very encouraging. And that's the problem, isn't it, Octavio, for those who are optimistic about the Fed cutting interest rates later on in the year. You, you partly took us down the path and we started talking about it. But let, let's be more specific for a moment here. Even as I think some of the Fed members are concerned about what they see as credit conditions tightening and that impacting lending into the real economy, we've had these stupendous results so far from these banks, which I think will perhaps encourage some other Fed members to think, well, these interest rate hikes have not had enough impact on the economy yet to really slow demand and cool inflation. So. Can we bake in 25 for May and potentially more before the end of the year? I, I definitely, I think 25 basis points for May are baked in. The question becomes that what happens at the next meeting and subsequent meetings. I think the balance of the risks now is they will continue to increase interest rates. Inflation is coming down, but it's not nearly where they want it to be yet. They carry on saying 2%. 2% is a great number. I don't know why that's their target, but that's what it is. Um, so I think that is what they're going to carry on having to do. They're going to have to carry increasing interest rates. This idea that they're going to have to ride to the rescue of the banking sector, I think, is now gone. They feel fairly confident about that. And they probably feel they haven't done much damage to the economy overall. There's a risk over the horizon still that there's a recession looming and things slow down substantially. But they're probably thinking the balance of the risks are now that inflation is the bigger problem. We need to address that. We're very much relieved to see the banking sector looks in good shape and in good nick. Let's concentrate on inflation. Let's carry on hiking interest rates. So I think we'll see at least after the May meeting, another 50 basis point increase during the rest of the year. And after that, who knows? But I think all eyes are going to be on the Federal Open Markets Committee meeting that happens in early May and basically sort of reading through the tea leaves. We know they're going to increase probably 25 basis points. I'd be very surprised by a 50 basis point increase. But we're going to be reading the tea leaves to see what does Jay Powell say and what do the committee members have to say and trying to read between the lines to try and determine what's going to happen next. That's going to be the big question. Octavio, uh, nice to see you. Thank you very much. You come in the studio one day if you like. I mean, Vienna's not so far away. Um, nice to see I'd you, sir. To. Octavio, yeah, just hop on. Come on. I'm sure you've got other things you can do in London as well. Uh, be nice Thank to you. see you. Octavio Marenzi, CEO of Opimas. Um, he, he's, he's teed it up, hasn't he? Dovish hike. Dovish hike. Dovish hike. Dovish hike. Yeah. Nearly done. Yeah. You can just see the tea leaves from all the economists who are yeah. willing the market to go up. Um, saying, it doesn't matter that we still got rate hikes. It doesn't matter that we got it wrong that we didn't think there were going to be any hikes this year. It's OK. This one's a dovish hike. Mm. And the next one's going to be another dovish hike mm. because inflation's nearly under control. Well, well, the market seems to think we're having cuts in September. So how's that going to work? Well, how's it, uh, if, if there's no yeah. recession or only mild recession, mm. if the banks are making hay and there is no great big risk here. And mm. what was it, the line I keep hearing? We heard it from, we've heard it from Yellen as well now. Yeah. She's added it to Jay Powell's rhetoric as well. Yeah. Is, 
the markets are doing the work for us. The credit markets are doing the work that we would. What if the credit markets aren't doing the work yeah. for the central bankers? What if the credit markets remaining with the ta with the, the housing data? We've got a load of housing data this week. Very yeah. important. What if the housing liquidity remains strong? What if the liquidity and cash for housing purchases remain strong as well? And the activity then the credit market's not going to do the work for the central banks. Does that mean we have two, three more hikes? Well. Apart from the banking story, which we focused on very uh, deeply for understandable reasons, I'd like to say here. I watched a lot of it last two weeks, <laughs> but you didn't. But I didn't. But but I mean, there were some other really good uh, indicators that actually other companies are doing okay at the moment. Um, there was some some dividend raises. Procter and Gamble lifted its dividend. Um, it wasn't the only one. Target Resources they lifted their dividend as well. Mm. Um, Qualcomm raised its dividend by nearly 7% here. Target Resources increased its dividend 43%. And there are quite a, a lot of other companies that are quite fundamental to the structure of the US economy more broadly that held the line. So Caterpillar basically said they'd maintain their payout levels. I thought very interesting because if you are looking for indications that demand is weakening, and that things are getting tougher for corporates, you might expect them to hold the line or to start reducing dividend payouts. But that's not what we've well, did had you say, so far. If you're looking for indicators of shareholders who are desperate to boost their returns yeah. and keeping the pressure on Caterpillar, Qualcomm, Procter & Gamble, uh, then they're, they're, they're still being squeezed from that side because, of course, the attraction of a bond market with better yields now would affect a, a, a consumer staples company such as Procter especially. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough rabbiting on from me. Yeah, uh, we've got to go. President Macron signs his controversial pension reform into law. But at what cost? We'll have details on that when we come back. I'm hearing from the editors that the, the podcast today is absolutely... Yeah, really good. Uh, and for more on the bumper start to the earnings season stateside, you can check out the aforementioned Squawk Box podcast. I quote, it's really quite good. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Tell you what I did do while I was off. Though. Go on. I went to Paris. Oh, lovely. It was lovely. Did you? No, uh, no problems at all. Burning no problems. No, 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 no. Okay. It was lovely. I loved everything right. about it. The Parisians were on top form. Lovely. Um, so I don't know what all this trouble's about because I, I didn't see any at all. Right. Um, meanwhile, and it was all about, of course, Macron yes. and his presidential reforms of the controversial pension reform bill, putting it into law, raising the age for a state pension from 62 to 64. There are some subtleties about that, but that's the, the headline. Uh, it comes after the country's constitutional council largely approved the legislation rejecting calls for a referendum. Charlotte, um, I, I thought Paris was very, very calm. The pro so look, this is very glib of me, but I'm going to say it. Have the protesters had their moment now and they're just going to get on with it? Or actually, will the protests continue? Yeah, well, that's the question, really. It was refreshing to hear it, not from me, because you know, no. I might seem biased, but well, you know, an external you know, people, eye people saying that. People get the wrong idea about me. I love Paris, normal. I love France, yeah. I've worked there, I've spent a lot of time there over years. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, and there is a, there's 
regularly protests and strikes, right? So there is a sort of it's a resilience in the system. Yeah, like there's British a resilience. About the so, um, but it, there's no doubt that the, the ones that we've seen since January, the introduction of this pension reform, are important, are still important. They will ricochet the effect for the next months, if not for the rest of the mandate of Emmanuel Macron. But we reach at a different point, of course, this week. And as you said, the Constitutional Council validating the draft law, basically saying that it is valid under the French Constitution. They rejected just a couple of elements in it, but the bulk of it has gone through, which means that uh, now a President Macron has enacted it over the weekend, which means that from this September, the retirement age will raise from 62 to 64, just gradually, we'll get to 64 by 2030. And the Prime Minister tweeted over the weekend, Elizabeth Bourne, that we have now reached the end of the democratic process and that there are neither winners nor losers in this process. So as you say, Steve, what now? Well, the far left opposition talking about a democratic holdup, the far right opposition led by Marine Le Pen says she will repeal this law if she's elected. And the union said they will keep on with the pressure that this is a contempt and a disconnection from the president. Uh, the president actually had invited the unions to meet him at the Elysee on Tuesday. They all rejected that invitation, saying they wanted to meet him before this law was enacted since January. Uh, so they, they said that they will carry on with pushing. And they talk about May the 1st, of course, Labor Day being the next day of big protests. They talk about a tsunami of protests, one of the union leaders calling for this. So now Emmanuel Macron is speaking tonight, addressing the nation uh, this evening to try to talk about the next phase. Uh, of course, so now, of course, the legal deadlock has gone with this constitutional council decision but the political and the social one is still very much in place so uh, Macron of course talking about the next phase he will talk about public services etc etc but look next week marks the one year after his re-election and when he was re-elected he was talking about reuniting France uh, about uh, governing in a different way that it hurt for French people etc etc well looking at what's been happening over the past few weeks you know it looks like well he hasn't really managed that, of course, and there's still a lot of difficulties. Question about his legacy. Of course, he doesn't run for re-election. That's why he could push through with his pension reform uh, because he has his two mandates now. He cannot run for another one. But of course, this question, how can he govern going ahead? How he's damaged his political um, capital for the next few months? So all this is on the place. So tonight would be a big address by the president to address all this and whether the page can actually be turned or not. All right. Terrific. Charlotte, thank you. Uh, for more on President Macron's controversial pension reforms, check out cnbc.com. We've got a full write-up of the story there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.